0: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance will include Skittles endorsements, Freudian psychoanalysis, and the cutest pet you've ever seen. All this as we discuss unicorns here on Created Things.
1: Hello and welcome to Created Things. The world's only podcast, brought to you by two guys who don't really know ho- how animals work, but do know a lot about Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Father Gabriel Tretta, medievalist, Dominican priest, um, guy who doesn't really know how animals work, and with me is my co-host, more importantly, Jacob Flores Popcheck, artist, psychotherapist, um, guy who does researches on weird animals um we're not i do about that. research Actually, we are, we are going to talk about that That's i do a weird
0: amount of research into animals and i and i would also hope that you as a catholic priest know more about jesus christ than i do so hopefully there's both a complementarity and sort of a differentiation in 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 our abilities there yeah i feel uh, like that is, yeah. that is
1: basically our whole jam for this podcast is basically like well we both like things not always yeah. the same things and woman is the same thing never in the same way um but Maybe complimentary
0: real bold choice to start off with. We don't know a lot about how animals work. We do know a lot about Jesus and not. We do know a lot about art, which like I would think would be the more natural thing on this arts podcast that we have. But that's OK. Mm-hmm. You well, can do what see, you want. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. But see, but then we wouldn't be. That's there's that's called an undistributed middle. You know, there's something in the middle uh, that what oh. why, why, What are we talking about here? Why are we talking about aminals? Why are we talking about Jesus Christ? Well, because there's something in the middle, and the thing in the middle is animals who are Jesus Christ in art. Jesus Christ who is an animal in art, and the two of them turns out that the twain shall meet.
0: You're really, you're really giving. You're, you're not bearing the lead at all here. No, you're giving it all away. I, you're you're I getting have, right into the thick the of things.
1: I have uncovered the lead. Don't worry. I know how it's spelled. I know there's no a in it. Uh, and I just went ahead and I. I uncovered it. So that's, that's what I did with it. I found the lead
0: and then I, and I I pulled it
1: out of the ground.
0: Um, So we are, as you will know from the title of this episode, dear listener, talking about unicorns today. And as you will have noted from father Gabriel's, uh, you know, little, little preview there, there's a lot Jesus y apparently about unicorns, which I wasn't keenly aware of until we started doing some research for this episode. Um, And also, you know, unicorns is an art motif. It's just kind of everywhere. And there's so many different artists who have done interesting things with unicorns. And I'm always interested whenever we can hit on a topic where there's like a specific motif or a character or a creature or something that just appears in huge amounts of artwork, regardless of the period, regardless of the, the media, right? Whether it's frescoes and paintings or sculptures and statues to you know toys and video games and cartoons right that that inevitably is something that draws my attention but listeners might be surprised this was not one of my topic ideas this was one of your topic ideas so yeah why why did you sad boring man who lives in a castle in the middle of europe you know just vampirically honestly vampirically if we're being honest but it's very it's very vampiric
1: though um it's
0: very it is very vampiric. so why did you if it's not broke we don't fix it uh so why did you want to talk about unicorns so listen i um Travel back in time
1: with me. Close your eyes. No, close your eyes. It's to the, year 2000. to the uh, 2005, specifically, actually. Um, okay. I'm living in New York. Um, uh, interested, uh, you know, Catholic, like interested in maybe the priesthood, maybe already. I can't remember. Um, but I have no idea what this means. Anyway, just kind of medieval. And I, know nothing about, and I know nothing about like medieval Western culture because at this point, I've just been doing Japanese stuff for a long time. Um, living in New York, and there's this museum there called the Cloisters, which is, um, the best, the, rich the best people, A rich dude literally went to like a, a where there was an abandoned, uh, like medieval French monastery and was just like, Hey, what if I paid you a bunch of money to like move this to America? And they were like, Yeah, pourquoi Um,
0: and he just like literally brick by brick, right? yeah, literally, it's completely insane. Um, those are my finan those are my sort of Dave Ramsey financial goals. Yeah. Like if my accountant or something says, what are your financial goals for this year? I say, I really would like to get to the point that I could move a monastery brick by brick from its country to over the my sea, which country. has to be over an ocean. Yeah.
1: Um, right, this has yeah. turned out this did turn out to leave a pretty bad taste in a lot of people's mouth because they were like, wait a second, did some really I'm sorry, did did a really rich American dude just buy a ruined monastery and move it to America? And they were like, Maybe. Um but but I mean at the same time it would have I mean, it was fallen down. Anyway, it's complicated. It's a complicated story. But um anyway, it's filled with um and now it's kind of a playhouse monastery museum. Um of course a lot of ruined ex-monasteries in in, in many places in Western Europe are kind of playhouse museums, but just not as lavishly done uh uh-huh. so this is full of like a lot of the mets kind of medieval collection and it's it's got all this wonderful stuff and so anyways so i was wandering around it and it's kind of just this lovely gardeny area and they like they play around with the with like the play playland uh faux monastery thing pretty 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 big and um it's really pretty and you're wandering around and wandering around and wandering around and again like at this point i knew so little about christian iconography that like i didn't even know like what the I N R I on top of a
0: crucifixes. You know, I just I, I had no idea. It stands for, as 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 my parish priest told me when I was about to make my first communion. Um, it stands for I'm nailed right in.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. definitely what it means. And I am not going to contradict that. That's definitely what it means. Yeah, yes. yeah.
0: Don't contradict my religious trauma. No, of course you're That's
1: absolutely right. And um
0: <laughs> so I'm wandering around, and at one point, if you if
1: you're in the cloisters. You get to this point where you you walk into this room. It might be a series of rooms. I forget. Um, that is just like wall after wall after wall of these gigantic tapestries. And like the tapestry, I mean, we should we should at least have a, we should have an episode on some specific tapestry at some point because tapestry is just such a weird art form um, and not a kind of visual language that's really intuitive for basically anybody in the twenty first century. But like. I said, like, but they're really incredibly beautiful, just stunningly beautiful, and they're just—I can't even tell you how gigantic they are. I mean, they're like, you know, like thirty feet by fifteen feet, and there's like dozen, there's like a dozen of them. They're huge, um, and they're all depicting like various stages of a bunch of like kind of pissed off looking fifteenth-century dudes hunting a unicorn, and I was like, okay. This seems like the kind of weird jam I would expect to be represented on tapestry. um. And then walking around just like just jamming out with us like, yeah, dudes hunt unicorns. I mean, we've all been there. I've hunted unicorns. You've hunted unicorns. Not my proudest moment, but like we've all done it, you know? We were, we were all kids once. And um, and then at one point, like one of the little placards, like the explanatory placards in the museum says like, and of course, the unicorn represents Christ. And we're thinking,
0: oh! But of course, right, which like the second you start to dabble in either art history or religion, what you find out is, you know, when you get a group of people who really believe in Christ together, suddenly. Everything represents Christ, and it sort of becomes like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon between whatever thing you find in the natural world natural world and and something about the divine um, and that's not something exclusive to Christianity, right I mean many Eastern religions will do you know similar things with you know representation and stuff but but I do think there's something kind of fundamentally weird about images like the tapestries of the Met cloisters being compared to Christ and weird to the degree that it is not automatically intuitive because there's never any like, like the, you know, in a lot, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this in a lot of sort of this symbolizes Christ stuff. It's always like the thing is sacrificing itself or the thing is, you know, triumphing over death or whatever else. And it's like, no, with the unicorn, it is this really, and, and let's be clear what we're talking about with unicorns here, right? We are not at this point in the history of the unicorn as an artistic motif talking about a beautiful Big white horse that just happens to have a horn on its head. We're talking about like a weird, shaggy, wild goat with like crazy eyes and a long lion's tail, and then just like the largest, spikiest horn just sticking straight out of its head. And it's this, you know, kind of frothing at the mouth, crazy thing that's being chased ostensibly by the heroes of the image, like the people we're supposed to be rooting for. And there's just nothing that screams like, oh, sure, these are the themes of sacrifice or whatever that medieval people automatically want to tie into Jesus. And yet, you're not wrong. The second you even Google like unicorns in art, you're going to find like 50 hits talking about it. like, oh, yeah, of course, this represents Jesus with not much explanation as to why. Yeah, And it really raises an eyebrow because, and I do want to read this quote. I was hoping to start off with this quote from from The Guardian, that was trying to kind of trace the history of unicorns. And it's it's a really funny quote. They say that ultimately there aren't many creatures that have been a representation of Christ, a panacea, a gay rights campaigner, and a popular fashion accessory. And they're so right, right? Because unicorns are this really, really ubiquitous, um, always always uh representing very niche things. And those niche things don't seem to have a lot in common necessarily with each other or really with unicorns. Or well, with unicorns
1: and like, you know, and like, why Why does every six-year-old girl on the planet love unicorns?
0: Right. You well, know? that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, again, it's like you say unicorn and, you know, it draws to mind for most people like the unicorn frappe at Starbucks. It's just like rainbow and glittery or, you know... Maybe you think, you know, Harry Pottery type fantasy stuff, or maybe you think my little pony type girly stuff, or, or maybe you think of like this weird, crazy goat running through the forest of a medieval tapestry. How are those things all unicorns? How do they have anything in common with each other? I don't blame you for, for being really weirded out that they would just so in such a laissez faire way, be like, oh yeah, of course, Jesus. Of course it is.
1: Yeah. So... Um as is as is our want, um and specifically want wantiest in my direction, um I would like to um pull back a little bit to some sweet, sweet textual sources to talk about um the kind of Christian background of this. Um Yeah, by all means, yeah. Uh so it come basically uh having looked into this, uh you get it coming from two major streams. Um the major, major stream is, uh, again travel back in time it's the second and it's the third and second century bc you are also way
0: further back in time than be, than before when we just went to 2005
1: it, it, that is actually farther in time behind before 2005 that's true actually by a fair amount a couple of years by, by a, couple a couple of, decades, of years at between. least yeah 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 i'm not yeah. i'm not sure exactly but but a, a, at a fair least amount. five years i say at least yeah <laughs> at least um and uh so it's like the third to second century bc uh you are uh a jewish person living in alexandria and Egypt. Egypt and um like most Jewish people you know, you don't really speak Hebrew, but uh you're real good at Greek. Um and fortunately, like a bunch of, a bunch of your pals had just have just gotten together and have translated uh the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, um, which is the text that um gets known in the Christian tradition as the Septuagint, which is there's a legend about how it was translated by 70 people, but anyway, um but here's the thing: so that so, the Hebrew scriptures get translated into Greek um, between the third and second century BC in Alexandria. Um, and for most of the Christian tradition uh, going forward, that's, and I mean, for Jewish tradition and then Christian tradition going forward, that's like the scriptures that people know. Um, uh, so, that's what feeds into the Latin translations and all the rest. Um, but, uh, okay, but you're living in Alexandria. There's all of these animals that are talked about in. The Hebrew scriptures that don't exist in Alexandria, um, that don't exist in Egypt, um, and some of them are kind of cryptic. Even if you were living in 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 um Palestine, the and uh, Jerusalem and stuff, because it's you know there's animals with one reference in all of in all of Hebrew in all of Hebrew writings, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you do? Well, yeah, what, we're using names
0: for those animals that are now out of date, exactly. or you know, yeah, kind of that, yeah,
1: um. So what they tended to do was they tended to replace the name of an animal that didn't exist in Alexandria at the time or Egypt in general with, um, an animal that they thought was relatively similar ish or not, but maybe, um,
0: so, <laughs> depending, it wasn't a science. It, was it an wasn't art. a science. It was an art.
1: Yeah. Um. So there's this word. Um. I don't speak Hebrew, but uh. I know how to. I know how to read letters. And um. This is word uh. That's retem, um. That gets used a bunch of times in the in the the Hebrew scriptures, um. In some significant places, and uh. The word itself is um. It means a wild ox, basically. Um, but it's a species of wild Maybe. ox that they didn't have in, um, in, in Alexandria in the area around at the time. So the way that they translated it into Greek is monokeros, which just means one horn. Um, and that's that. No explanation, just there it is. Um, this, this ends up having some fun immediate effects in the scriptures. So, like, um, I uh, so like this famous uh, passage in Deuteronomy where Moses is blessing, um, is handing blessings to the to the to the twelve tribes, uh, and his blessing of the tribe of Joseph um, is that um, it says like this is how it goes in English. Uh, his firstling bull has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a well. It's of a of a reem. But this is, but in Greek, this is going to be of a monokeros. And then this gets represented into, not by Jerome, but by the earlier um, Latin translations would tend to be really, 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 really super literal um, as a unicorn. So now you have Moses, who's kind of a big deal. I don't know if you know this, blessing the tribe of Joseph saying like, uh, you are like a beautiful boar. uh, you're, You're like a beautiful ox with the horn of a unicorn. And it goes forth from there. there's so a whole bunch of these things so, so there's so here's one stream going forward is that you get this um funny connection between hebrew and then greek and then into semi junky, just some semi super super duper literal latin where now all of a sudden the bible is full of unicorns
0: uh because this Cause animal just actually, chock-a-block, just of chock-a-block unicorns. with
1: unicorns because this animal gets mentioned a bunch Um, as it's just a symbol of strength. So I do want
0: to, I do want to interject there only because by all means, I, I had read some sources claiming that this word um, could also might, it might have also been referring to, um, uh, You know, certain subspecies of rhinoceros as well, so that, that there, there is a division here. It could be a wild ox. It could be a rhinoceros or it could be a unicorn. And that that, that actually does speak to there are specific times where, like, God's mightiness is described as a charging. Yeah, something about. Something that right. charges and is powerful, and you it's know something that charges and rips through everything, and that that kind of makes sense if you're talking about like a wild crazy ox or yeah. a rhinoceros. But it's absolutely delightful if you're talking about just a unicorn busting just through a, everything, just like, a
1: unicorn, just kicking the like crap God. out of everything,
0: just doesn't even care. This unicorn
1: does not give two craps. Yeah, right. And then that, but that, that that's exactly right. And then it this connects to um, the second th- stream. That goes into this, which is our boy, Pliny the Elder. Don't forget Pliny the Younger. Has nothing to do with him except that he's his dad. Um right uh, so Pliny <laughs> he has dies. not yet
0: blowed himself up correct At Pompeii. Yet. exactly
1: thank you for remembering i'm so proud of you that's so i great. learned
0: that from you in our Pompeii Yay! episode i'm piecing things together you're I'm, so amazing. i'm getting smarterer
1: you're getting so I'm getting brilliant smarterer.
0: um so yeah so he
1: does so he dies in Pompeii on august 24th and uh, 79th which is totally great it's so awesome that you remember that. that's great mm-hmm. um i now it's time to do the like kids tv show thing be like kids do you remember where, where where Pliny the Elder died?
0: Uh, <laughs> God, our, I've talked to you. I've joked before with you and our producer, Kyle, about having a children's show, and it would just be intolerably oh, dry. This would be, be like, the, the, oh, would be children, best. children, do you remember what date Pliny the Elder died at Pompeii? Say it with me.
1: August 24th, 79, children what did he die of did he get cholera did he have a (laughs) cough did he get blown up by a volcano that he was stupidly trying to observe from a boat in the bay of naples (laughs) which one do you think it was it's the cough it's the cough one it's the cough cough. it was a cough i'm pretty sure it was a cough he had a qatar and he died
0: um what if he what if he did actually die of a cough but just as he died Suddenly the volcano exploded and Suddenly the volcano flew up Yeah, maybe he said, don't yeah know. that's it. Maybe he just we had a heart can't attack. He autopsy never know. Someone, no. We can't autopsy someone who got evaporated by a volcano on a boat. Isn't that sad? That's a lot of sadness in the world. Yeah. That's one of them. It's yeah. real sad.
1: So so before he before this happened, um, he wrote this book, The Natural History, which is the super influential book in the history of the world. And um, and at one point he's talking about like, um, hey. What kind of stuff do they got in India? Well, in India, listen, they got critters and they describe as bunch of critters that you find in India. And then he says this as well. There's a very fierce animal called the monoceros. Now he's writing in Latin, um, but he uses this this Greek word, which is the same Greek word um, that uh, mm-hmm. uh, unrelated, but it's the same Greek word. Uh, so he doesn't translate into his unicorn. He uses this Greek word. Um, it's called the monoceros. Which has, <clears throat> wait for it, picture, picture in your mind, what does a unicorn look like? Yes, yes, yes. Head of a stag, feet of the elephant, tail of the boar, while the rest of the body is like that of a horse. It makes a deep lowing noise and it has a single black horn, which projects from the middle of its forehead, two cubits in length. This animal, it is said, cannot be taken alive.
0: Well, there you go so that's to pl- me pl- plenty of that unicorn. sounds exactly like an indian rhinoceros it's no, in many no. ways how dare whoa it sounds like whoa. a second how dare you it sounds like a second hand account of an indian rhinoceros did you did you hear how long its horn was did you hear how long it was this has nothing to do with a rhinoceros so two cubits which which is a measurement from isn't that like an old testament like didn't noah measure the the arc in cubits uh he does like a but it's, it's but like it's like the length it's, of I mean it's, like it's the tip in. of your fingers to like your elbow right elbow, so that's a think, long yeah. horn that's a long horn yeah that's thing. like two lengths of arm yeah. sticking out of this person's yeah this person's this yeah. animal's head yeah big it big that's a lot yeah it's a lot it's, it's a lot a big going animal. on there it's a big horn. so so basically what this
1: these two streams ghostbusters style cross, as you would expect, um, in one glorious moment. And the major place this is, is this text called the Physiologus, um, which also originates in Alexandria in Greek. Um, but, but four centuries later, so in the second century after Christ, um, gets translated into Latin sometime before 386. We don't know when, um. It's a it's like the major source for medieval bestiaries. So although we still haven't had a chance to talk about bestiaries, they do always get to come up because
0: they're always always on the table. Yeah, um, we've we've talked we haven't talked about bestiaries because we've talked about bestiaries so many times. It's hard not to because like every so, episode they're always there. Every episode really is just a collection of Twilight references and 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 bestiary citations. That's exactly right. Speaking of which, are there unicorns in Twilight? Because I feel
1: like there probably should be.
0: Oh, God, there should be. I right? don't think there are. Don't you think, like, Jacob weird James or
1: whatever those guys' names are, don't you think that they should have written, written unicorns? Jacob Black. Yeah. I do are two people? Or Jacob one Black people? and Edward
0: Collin should have written vampires. They're okay. two I, separate people. Jacob okay. Black and Edward Collin are two separate people. I knew that i knew that but really of, in a sense really in a sense they're one person because they represent the duality of men no i'm kidding there's just, yes. yeah, just <laughs> no, actually, that's, they're that's no actually there are no uniforms in that's it though
1: that's it so. what it was opportunity um so here's what here's what the author yeah. of the physiologus says this is, so he's writing this is now from the from the latin translation which is really influential he says um so there's an animal which in greek is called the monoskeros okay and in latin the unicorn. Hello. So now we now we've got the unicorn. Um, I so the physiologus, which is just like the guy who knows about the guy who knows about stuff, um, guy who knows about animals and stuff. Um, he says that the unicorn has this nature. Um, it's a small animal similar to a goat, exceedingly wild. It has one horn in the middle of its head. Um, it is Im- utterly impossible for a hunter to capture the unicorn, but. He can be caught by this trick. Get ready. One weird trick. Just like you would expect. Hunters lead a virgin maid to where he is and leave her there. And uh, they just send her into the forest alone. And then the unicorn as soon as he sees her he leaps into her bosom and uh embraces her and as he and then he can be captured and taken into the palace of the king next sentence i swear no ellipses so is our lord jesus christ the spiritual unicorn Descending into the womb of the virgin um, through the flesh taken from her, captured by the Jews, condemned to death on the cross, from of whom David said, um, uh. and my beloved son is like the unicorn. And it goes on from there. And it goes on to quote, for instance, among other things, um, the passage from Deuteronomy that I talked about earlier, um, that his horn is like the horn of a unicorn. And that's basically where it goes. Um, it goes nuts from there. I, I could, I could talk about textual go- citations. I didn't
0: realize that the whole Jesus thing. I didn't realize the whole Jesus thing started that early. I thought that that was a much later development. Mm-mm. That's crazy. So the, so it's like right it's, away as unicorns are kind of being established in in the canon of kind of early Western thought. Yeah, they're right so away being tied to. I mean, Christological imagery.
1: This is, I mean, it's
0: interesting. This is a process of development
1: that takes about, I mean, if you if you just look at the textual evidence that we have, the physi the physiologus does seem to be the first place where this happens. The major previous source that we're talking about is Pliny, and then the major other source is the scriptures. I mean, there's always going to be other ephemera and things that were less influential or things that we've lost access to, but those are those are the three major touch points. There become other touch points later, just but those are always. Any further touch points are just um sort of radiating points, um, where the where these three things and the way that these, these two streams have crossed and turned into a third
0: new thing, everything else is just repeating from
1: there. Um they're not really elaborating, mm-hmm. it's just
0: repeating and look, from there. I am aware of earlier I'm aware of earlier references to unicorns. I mean, I think there are versions, for instance, of the um the greek myth of of hades sort of kidnapping persephone where i mean certainly there's some where he like you know grabs her as he rides his chariot pulled by steeds but there are versions and then subsequent depictions where he's like riding a unicorn for instance but but it's interesting because they are really scattered references both artistically and you know literarily and and it is always this the unicorn is very clearly a monster right like it is a monster that is to be feared, and its wildness can sort of be tamed by a lady in that very King Kong, like, twas beauty slayed the beast kind of a way. But, but then to jump just just no holds barred into, and that's like Jesus, is a wild, wild take. It's pun, a- pun kind of intended. Yeah, it's a big jump. And it is interesting to know
1: that, like, that whole thing, because Pliny leaves it at, this animal can't be taken alive, end of story, moving on. We're talking about some other stuff, some other weird creatures they have in India. But the but the physiologist, like, it's right there. He's like, no, no, but there is a way to take it alive. It involves this virgin, and he leaps into her lap, um, moving on, you know, and it goes on from there. Um, so this is, but you're right. I mean, like, there's still, there are, there are some gaps here. You know, um, like sort of like the like the underpants gnomes in South Park, you know, it's like step one, steal underpants, <laughs> step three, take over the world. But like step two, I don't know. I feel like we, we, we are missing right. something here, you know. Um, right. So uh, as far as as far as I know, but as far as I read, no one there, there are no further links in the chain that we have access to. Um, it's just that's crazy. There it is. Like the physiologus or some source that he was drawing on that's completely lost to us. Um makes this connection that in fact this 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 uncapturable feral animal can be captured by a virgin who opens his her lap to him um the word the words it's it's always the same word sinus, um and it can mean either breast or or lap um it, it, it mostly means it's the word it's like sinusoidal like like a Sine wave, that's what the word we get. It's it's from the swoop that your toga makes uh when you've thrown it over your oh, shoulder. Interesting. Okay. Um, so it really okay. it's really directs towards the bosom, but like it can also extend to the lap. Uh and like like Isidore, for instance, in six thirty-six, uh, who's another major a major um spreader of this into the into the 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 Middle Ages and Bestiaries, um, he talks about about the Virgin opening specifically opening her bosom. And so that's really more of a bosom image than a, than a, than a uh, lap image um, as it seems to more be with the physiologus. But um, anyway, yeah, I mean, there, so this is taking a long time though. I mean, the three major textual points that we have, that go to this one tradition. Cause you're right. Like unicorns, a, they're in most every culture. Tons of cultures have unicorns. Um, and like, uh and then there's all other- there's all other kinds of strands of development of the unicorn I mean but it's just this one strand g passes through third century b c to first century a d and then really takes this definitive shape in the fourth century a d and like it takes a long time sure,
0: yeah yeah and i mean there are there is a a Chinese version of this, the pronunciation of which I will not attempt to to butcher. But I mean, it has scales, but it is very much like sort of the horse-goat with the single horn. Um, but what's interesting is it is—it's kind of similar here, right? The the single horn, um, and we haven't really gotten to this, but but it's considered to have healing properties in just the same way that that you know the the Western unicorn is, um, and it's also this very very wild aggressive animal. Um, that only, you know, a certain type of person or a certain class or or specifically a certain moral fiber of person can capture. Um, and so that does cross culture um in, in a really, really interesting way. And yet, despite being a creature that is firmly kind of rooted in wildness, um, this reminds me a little bit of our conversation on demons, you know. In some sense, uh, I infer anyway, when I'm looking at, for instance, the tapestries at the cloisters or any of the other artworks that I'm actually really excited to to get to, that, you know, the unicorn is supposed to be kind of the microcosm of what wildness is, of what wilderness is, and and kind of the crazy wildness of the outside and the untamed and the natural, right? And in most cases that is associated with a carnivorous animal in literature or art. Sure. Right. Oh, yeah, We're talking sure about yeah. a lion. We're talking about a wolf. Right. But in none of these accounts is, is the unicorn considered to be predatory. It is considered to be like an herbivore to the degree that, so there's a, you know, we've made a few Jewish references, sort of the, 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 the vaguely anti-Semitic one in, in the, in the, quote you were reading and then of course the jewish scholars who are initially trans uh, translating the Septuagint. um there is a rabbi who i follow on TikTok, who's based in the jersey shore um rabbi rapaport and he does he answers anybody's questions about judaism and he somebody asked like would it be kosher to eat a unicorn yes. and so he went back over all the places where unicorns are mentioned in in the talmud and and he he explains like yes 100 because it's a cloven hoofed animal that chooses it It chews its cud right and so here we go like this very clearly there is a picture being painted of a goat a deer kind of a creature not even really a horse right even though modern depictions would tell you it's a horse no this is like more an antelope goat deer thing that's just It just happens to be, despite the fact that it is kosher to eat it, and it is definitely an herbivore, it's just so ferocious that it puts even the lion to shame in terms of being a hunting trophy.
1: That's right. And like, yeah, so the ferociousness is really important Um, throughout. It's going to be really important in its artistic representation Uh, here, thinking about the artistic representations coming from this, this, these two cross streams turning into one stream um all mm. connected so that's super important is its fierceness super important is um this is maybe not totally intuitive but um I, of course this rapidly gets further allegorized so um i basil the great um, who dies in three seventy nine? So he he's actually the the limiting point for when we know that the physiologus has to have been translated into Latin because he quotes it. Um, and uh, specifically talking about the unicorn, um, he says, "Christ is the power of God. Therefore, he is called the unicorn because the one horn symbolizes one common power with the Father."
0: Oh, weird take. Right. Like, so so this it. is in the end it's
1: a kind of a Trinitarian thing, the strong Christian uh insistence that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three persons in one God with um a common divinity, common will, common power, uh all the rest. So the the uniness of the unicorn, um so it's it's once, you, once you've once you gotten to the physiologus and it can be tamed only by coming to rest, uh, so it's, it's wild, it's ferocious, it's totally untamable, no human power can stop it. Um, it becomes meek and mild in the lap of a virgin. Um, and so this is, there's a strong Christ thing going on now, and then, but it also has the one horn representing that it is one with the Father. Um, so now you've got this like two natures in Christ kind of jam going on, and this stays like all these things stay and you can say i'm not really sure all these things fit together i don't care they all stay like they all stay none of
0: them go right they're all being piled on top of each other which is something fun whenever you talk about whenever we talk about art history right is it's always a bunch of different references that have a lot of cognitive dissonance between them kind of getting piled onto one another this trinitarian thing is interesting i mean are, is there any art specifically that you're aware of that that riffs off of that initial theme? Because a lot of the ones that I'm aware of do have to do with kind of the wildness, and then we do see a lot of the Marian imagery, right? The unicorn sort of settling in in the lap or the bosom of of you know the Virgin Mary, and and I have a few that I am particularly fond of in that regard, but. But this kind of Trinitarian thing, that comes out of the blue for me. that That's a weird one. Are there any that you feel like represent that motif particularly well? Or is that not something that people pick up on quite as much? I haven't
1: seen it. That's the best I can say. I haven't seen it. Um, I mean, anytime you have the the emphasis on the fierceness, you're going to have the emphasis on like the power and the strength of this kind of thing. You're going to be able to see it that way. But- um, I would love to say, oh, here's this really cool like Trinitarian draped unicorn image, but like I ha- I haven't seen it. Um, hmm. Well,
0: there's the challenge for today's episode. Yeah, there's the challenge. So Find it, bro. I, please tell me if I'm wrong on this. I'm more than happy to be called out on this one. But one of the things that I did see repeated without any citation to it is that despite these great you know, thinkers that you've, you know, these great church figures talking about this so positively that the council of Trent itself made a statement about unicorns not being an okay uh, thing to compare Jesus to because the motif was quote unquote, too licentious. And I read this from exclusively sources that were like very prudish and we're being like, and that was a good thing for them to do yeah. because unicorns are evil and they're fantasy. Yeah, and I'm a Christian, and so I don't like fantasy. That's bad. Is there any legitimacy to that at all? Um,
1: I haven't heard it. That would be really fun. Unfortunately, the cancel the the documents of the council are trying to really big, and without further citation, it would be really hard to just. I, I can't. I can't um, look it up while we're talking. Um, but uh, but I can try to do my best to to do my homework and remember to see if I can do the, talk about it next time. But. Um, uh because it does
0: i will say it does oh yeah go ahead no you go no i was just gonna say like well let's let's talk let's uh let's talk
1: let's talk images though let's 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 dig into a little bit about this because i do have some licentious ones
0: um okay thank you because that's what i wanted to talk about because as soon as you say here's this wild wild savage creature with a single horn jutting out of its head and it's jumping into the lap of a virgin I mean look I don't get what you you're suggesting I don't, be, I don't I don't get I don't, don't, g- I don't get what you're implying I don't I don't get what All you're right, implying well <laughs> I'm sorry that your your social uh your your social handicap stops you from picking up what I'm putting down but I I don't think that y- that y- one has to be a particularly dirty minded school child to to pick up something deeply phallic in the idea of of a unicorn um when it's phrased precisely that way so I don't necessarily fault, although I would disagree, but I don't necessarily fault if I'm indeed right that the Council of Trent was like, no, we don't like this. We don't like this very much. That response makes sense to me, even if I don't agree with it. It just seems weird. You All I'm saying art. is it just seems weird. We- um, it just seems weird. I don't like it. It's uh, so like, yeah, well,
1: so let me, <laughs> we can, we can point, we can point to a couple of examples. So, um, I. Well, first, let's like let's so let's just before we get to like the the sort of the the sort of edgy edgy no. ones like ones,
0: ones we like, can't not keep backtracking every time we try to make a point. You say, but before we get to that, no, no, I'm not actually go five hundred years in the past. In the past. Oh. So this is
1: actually I'm just actually jumping forward a little bit. Um, we'll go straight to last edgy ones. That's cool. So here's a cool one. Um, for for our gentle our gentle listeners who are uh, gently watching, um, I. It's it's relatively well, it's not early at all. It's uh, it's from the 13th century. It's uh, from the Rochester bestiary uh, from about 1230. Um, beautiful, beautiful. It's um, it's great. So the animal does it's very clearly a horse with a big long horn. So the a lot of the other kind of stuff, you know, the sort of goatiness and the and the feet of an elephanty stuff, like that's all gone. This is um this is represented really as a horse with a with a big horn, um, and like it's all nestled up in the in the lap of this lady, and uh, it is very busily being. Dabbed through the side by this kind of aggro-looking uh, guy wearing chainmail and a
0: shield. They're always—I will say—that is a common thing. They are always guys who kill unicorns, not chill dudes, not chill dudes. By it turns and large, out. Well, I mean, it does, they always feel very bro-y and aggressive, very frat.
1: Yeah, kind of feeling. yeah. Not not a cool, not a cool jam. I just want to talk to you know, just say like, hey, listen, man. Maybe the problem's inside. Maybe the real unicorn that you want to kill is <laughs> is is your dad, your father. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: I love it. That's that's where we both went. I'm sure that's totally normal. I wouldn't worry about that. We're both very Freudian. Yeah, there's nothing The horse with the huge giant phallic symbol that you're trying to kill. That's that's your dad, my guy. It's probably your dad, brah. Don't worry about it. The thing (laughs) that's like distinctive
1: about this image is that um, the lady whose lap he is resting in, she totally naked Um, and he is resting his head he's really resting his head completely in her lap and then the horn is kind of jutting out actually past the it's breaking the frame of the the scene which is really cool um and uh she kind of has her hand down uh in her groin and like the other one is kind of reaching out to like pat his back as he's being stabbed it's kind of a weird jam um but like yeah this is the only one i found where she's completely naked um it's really distinctive like Visually there's very clearly like a um like an eve thing going on. He's mm-hmm. like behind behind mm-hmm. the unicorn is is a kind of a tree that looks like three artichokes coming out of the ground. Don't worry about it. That's what trees look like. Um and uh and she is kind of sitting on nothing, but it's cool. I wouldn't worry about that. That's how people sit. And um it's like there's a kind of an eve thing going on here like the, the the unicorn as Adam, Christ, tree, tree of life, tree of death, like um, the creation, womb, stuff going on. But it's still a, it's still a jam, you know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You look at this
0: image and you think like, there's a lot going on here. Sure. That's uh, it's, it There is a lot going on and it reminds me actually... Of another, of another image. So the only, cause I haven't, you're right. I haven't seen too many like naked people with unicorns before. Um, The only one I've seen though is actually I had referenced kind of the abduction of Persephone in, in Greek mythology, but there is, I think it's in the 1500s, a um, kind of a woodcut and, and you know how much I love, you know, these woodcut prints um, this German, you know, block print of, of Hades kidnapping Persephone. And, and that's the only one other one I've seen where it's like this really savage unicorn. And it's got like the big gross horse teeth and the lolling tongue and everything. And then she's, you know, she's, she's being swept away and she is, she is fully nude and very, um, a lot of detail is paid to the musculature and stuff, which is of course, you know, Part and parcel at the time, but it, it because that's the only other image I'm familiar with that that ever would depict nudity alongside the unicorn um it really makes an even like more intense juxtaposition because of kind of the peacefulness of the image that you're referencing you know compared to how violent the Hades version is, you know, yeah, yeah.
1: No, it is because, like, I mean, at the same time, like, this image is pretty is pretty violent. I was just looking at it more closely and realizing, like, oh, it's not just that the that the like aggro dude who's stabbing him is stabbing him in the side. He is stabbing him in the side, but the spear is actually de- this is, is a lance. Excuse me, is actually depicted as going into his side and then coming all the way out his chest, which is a long way Ugh. out. It's like actually pretty dramatic. Um, yeah, pretty dramatically represented, I would say. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a weird image because again it's this mixture of um, that's that's part of it from the beginning. It's this weird mixture of kind of like violence and savagery and peace and like mildness, um, all at once and like and I wouldn't actually shy away from thinking about the like um sort of phallic character of it and the um the sort of semi sexual character of it. Certainly the um I w- well, I'm not gonna say that's sorry that's that's silly to say like um. I mean, it's clearly a fully sexual and generative image, um, not right, necessarily- not a pornographic image. Well, I mean, not, not necessarily in the event. sense of like um, sexual intercourse. Like, I mean, that's always the question. I mean, it's I would say there's a question here. Like, it's it's sexual, it's generative. That's the whole point. I mean, that's what you see right away in the in the in the physiologus, um, because the idea is, um. Is that he's descending into the into the lap of the Virgin and is thus mm-hmm. being born? Um,
0: uh, oh, right. That doesn't necessarily naturally occur to my imagination, but what I will say, looking at the bestiary image you're referencing, um, there's there's sort of these like giant flowers and leaves growing out of the landscape that we find this unicorn being slewn in. Uh, and in the medieval sense, these these giant flowers are very asparagusy looking, <laughs> giant asparagus, but the way they're positioned, they're not growing out of the wound in the side of the unicorn, but they are positioned so as to seemingly allude to uh, in kind of an artistic parallel way that they are stemming from the wound of this unicorn. So the whole kind of the unicorn being born thing, that, that does not naturally into it. For me, I'll be honest. But no, no, I mean not in that image. generative No, no, no. I'm not you see in that image. No, I'm not saying you see
1: it in that image. I'm saying like, oh, okay, um, okay, okay. The no, no, no. I don't. I don't think that's what's being represented in that image. Not at all. Um, but just like the kind of but conceptual I will say character the generativity, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, the and the generativity with these giant kind of wild asparagusy things mm-hmm. sprouting out of where the unicorn is bleeding from in his side. Again, very Jesus-y, wound in the side, kind of a thing. You know, that, okay, I can I can jive with that. But I think there's some stuff I don't know. I, I, I'm worried about um getting the conversation off track, but we're we're talking about this kind of, you know, generativity, sexuality thing, and we're saying, yeah, you know, we're almost taking for granted. Yeah, and that's, you know, kind of Jesus-y, and what we're not talking as much about is Okay, here here's this virgin that he's submitting to that ostensibly is is Mary, right? I mean, I think we can infer that when there's, you know, a virgin in association with the Jesus image, it's probably gonna be Mary. But that's probably weird for a lot of people. That 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 would be weird, not just for non religious people, but but a lot of, you know, Christian people and Catholic people thinking, well, Jesus doesn't really submit. To marry, you know, it's, it's not like her virtue is so, you know, amazing that he says, well, you know, you're, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, that's, that doesn't necessarily compute to a modern spiritual lens as much. Can you shed, can you shed light on that? Am I, am I inferring something wrong here or? Yeah, I think that's a. Fa- I mean, no, no. Actually, when you, th- you put
1: it put it that way. Um, because yeah, right. That that's that is what's weird about like if you think about like, immediate biblical parallels. It's more like with the scene as it's described by you know, with Physiologus or like by Isidore of Seville. Um, it's more akin to like and actually as it's painted uh, quite often, it's more akin to like there's this scene where this great biblical hero Samson, who's like he's mighty and nobody can conquer him and he's he's uh, you know he's got all the strength and stuff. Uh but he's got this like a lady who's uh Delilah who's um uh keeps asking him like, hey, what? Hey, Samson, it's so great that you're like, so it was such beefcake and everything. That's really awesome. If I wanted to hype if someone wanted to unbeefcake you, how would that person do it? You know, and like he tells her things, but it's not true two or three times. And she's like, and like people come in and they try to like do the thing that she told them to do. And like, it doesn't work because he lied to her. And then like the third time she's like, oh my gosh, you don't love me, Samson, you know, oh my gosh. Uh And like Samson doesn't get the message that like, maybe you, you can't trust this lady and so he like tells her it's this the solution which is his hair and he like basically puts his head in her lap and cuts his and falls asleep and she cuts his hair and then like it ends badly for Samson um i so like there's a lot of biblical parallels with this scene um but like Delilah is not a hero and this is bad. Like what happens there is bad. Well, um, and
0: also Samson is very clearly being
1: tricked. And he's being tricked. Like, like it's all like none. Of, like none of the valences here work. Like the visual,
0: the visual parallel is strong, but none of the valences work. Um, right? Yeah. Like for a Christian thinker, like you know, Isidore Basil, great, or any of these people that you're referencing, like there are some key factors that are important here, which are like. Yeah, Mary isn't earning salvation. Yeah, uh, Mary certainly isn't tricking Jesus. Jesus isn't being tricked by anybody. He's very voluntarily submitting to death. Yeah, like it's just there. It I mean, doesn't it just make doesn't any really... sense. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to say like, like some of
1: these things like they don't, they don't work great, you know. Um, and I would say that like part of the the image itself is kind of like, trumped. Trumping past some of these conceptual problems and just just going for it so like if you think of it as emphasizing christ's humility that he that he never stops being the all-powerful one the all-powerful god who shares the one power with god uh and who and who nonetheless in that in that powerful state chooses to take on like the lowliness of human nature and chooses to do so In the womb of the Virgin and therefore becoming in this sense, physically dependent on her, um, freely, which is to say, what is it? He freely chooses to have need of the Virgin Mary. Um, and, uh, Mm -hmm. um, like that's, that works, you know, like that works. So 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 if one thinks about it that way, like that, that works, um, but there are, there just remain problems to, with the image. What you, you write when you're thinking about it, um, like seriously and theologically, that don't like, they're just not going to hang together. Like in the end, mm-hmm. they're, they're not, they're not going to hang together. Like there's not much you can well, do to make and them that, hang together. And look
0: and look, let's talk again purely as artists here for a second. That's true of any artistic image representing anything, right? Any any analogy or symbolism, when held up to scrutiny is going to have a couple of, yeah, buts attached to it. Like, this is a good analogy for this thing, but yeah, but not so much these other components of that same thing. Right, exactly. Right? And so, so, you know, sometimes when I'm hired by like a religious client to do a religious artwork, they'll say to me, well, how do you plan to, you know- depict all of these different aspects of this thing. Cause I, you know, in the past I've seen this depiction. I didn't like it for this reason. I didn't like this, but you know, and they're looking for kind of a perfect depiction of whatever religious thing they want to see depicted. And I was try to give kind of the same answer, which is that I, I can't depict, you know, let's say it's God that they're asking me to depict. I can't depict God. I just can't, I can depict. W- I can depict the aspects that I want people to know yeah, about God, which seems so like the prudent thing to like do. What, right? Let's narrow down what specifically we want our audience to know about God in this case, or whatever the thing happens to be, and let's try real hard to represent that stuff, knowing that there will be some things that get left behind or get even actively contradicted by the imagery. Just because you got to know what your limits are as an artist, and so what that says to me is that for those trying to reveal something about their belief in christ through the symbolism of a unicorn what the unicorn symbolized about jesus positively far outweighed for them all of the cognitive dissonance of all the problems that you and i are pulling out right now And I'm wondering what you think that is, because for me, you know, having talked recently about, for instance, in our Easter episode, like the motif of gardener Jesus, you know, this naked Jesus wearing a big straw hat out in the middle of a garden and, and, and a lot of the different episodes we've done for me, the thing that immediately occurs is this is a group of people who really, really want us to understand two things about Jesus and two things primarily one, the kind of intimacy that he wants to have with us and two, that that intimacy in no way, shape, or form, uh, abates his wildness. They, they, they don't want him to be seen as anything other than intensely wild and kind of savage and mighty in a, in every dangerous power of God, divine, better watch out kind of a way. Um, and that that intimacy and that savagery together, you know, almost like, like, Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about when when with his analogy for Jesus, you know, as land lion, he says, you know, he is a good lion, but he is not tame. Right. You know, that kind of an idea seems to me. That's what I'm inferring. These people want us to know most about Jesus through the unicorn. But I mean, what do you think? Is there are there elements that that could be there from like a more historical lens that I'm missing.
1: I think that's super duper, duper, duper central because it's just, it's there from the beginning, right? Like if you even, so even thinking about the other stream where it's translating this word for a wild ox, like that's why all the images, like almost all the scriptural images that's going to be working with are working with images of God's might, his ferocity, his power, his unconquerability. Um, And then you've got that second stream with like plenty that he's, uh, unconquerable can't be can't even be captured you know um and those, because there's this intentional Christian move where you say like what is so wild and so ferocious that no human power can dominate it that is totally unable to be to uh, totally unable to be conquered <laughs> um and yet has been con- has been conquered right um Mm -hmm. you say well if this is god how did that happen well it happens in the humility of the incarnation and it happens with him choosing to allow himself to be conquered um by the crucifixion and then he shows himself uh as having as simultaneously utterly, utterly utterly docile meek powerless and infinitely mighty and and on all the rest like um which i which you're totally right like i think you just have to like again not the primary conceptual emotional and like uh sort of immediate even the theological associations that i would like put with unicorns at the present moment i you know looking at my sisters my little ponies growing up like i never thought this my friends is an obvious symbol of the unconquerable power of god and his astonishing humility
0: Nor would I say, would I have ever inferred this is a symbol of kind of savage masculinity, but that's really what we're talking about, right? Like to lean into those sexual themes that you're describing, there's a clear, you know, especially in the bestiary where, you know, she is naked and. And not only naked, but but very clean and sort of pale and, you know, virtuous looking and, you know, kind of idealized. And then in juxtaposition with this very savage, hairy, furry, you know, unicorn with blood dripping down it and this you know, huge spear sticking out of its head, you know, there, there's clearly a masculine feminine thing being painted here to the degree that, you know on, on Reddit and Tinder, I say I'm a male feminist, (laughs) Ah, I'm joking, but, 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 you know, to the degree that in kind of a a feminist way, like there's kind of an inherent sexism there, right. Where it's like, you know, women are pure and chaste and on a pedestal and there's this savage masculinity. Um, it's interesting then to then bridge that gap and go, oh, now unicorns are considered the most feminine, the most girly to the degree that like Googling unicorns again, will take you to tons of people doing think pieces about how they're too girly. And we should actually discourage, you know, girls from, from playing with my little pony and things like this because it, you know, it's not feminist enough. And, and gosh, I mean, it's just a hell of a journey for one little animal to take in terms of what represents. this poor
1: little guy well but what if there was yeah. a, what if there was hypothetical speaking of really cool bridge image that I just happened to kind of hypothetically have right here that I wanted to show you oh, seriously um, do yes. you actually have something mm-hmm, I do I, and it's then it's this that. um because you said like uh yeah I mean so you've got like this woman and she's like this and it's like and so you think like Christians like this is gonna be the Virgin Mary like you know Jesus's mother but I say to you Colin, what if it isn't um so i found take a look it's absolutely amazing this is the only image like this i found um it's a french image from uh oh, excuse me it's actually just a german image but it's held in the louvre um from about 1440s it's bastards taking everything they are and so you've got this like here you've got this actually very dainty everything is inverted um, in a certain sense. You have this extremely oh, dainty um unicorn with this very like um lithe almost gazelle like um body it's we- almost like a greyhound oh, actually like very, the way like a, the way yeah, its chest that's slopes right because it's, it's it's stomach. Um, it's
0: like greyhound it's
1: very very it's, greyhound is exactly right because going up into the haunches like it's very it's very greyhound very lithe very lean um it's holding up its paw it's it's a uh, right forehoof very daintily i uh, was looking very delicately with with um, a very mild, almost feminine expression on its face. And the horn um, is not sort of like crassly uh jamming into the woman's face or like or like in the way anywhere. It's like delicately sort of pointing just away from the image. And the woman, here's is, here is a jam that we could we could talk about some other time, because actually we should should talk about some other time because it's really worth talking about. The woman is 100% covered in hair, except for her face and her breasts. You say to yourself.
0: Yeah, like really. Fur. I mean. Yeah, big, long, she big, is, long head she hair. She's like and, a lady Sasquatch. Yeah. I mean, she's clearly a human being because she's got a lady face and lady breasts, but and, and then she's got, you know, of course, dainty long mermaidy type hair. Yeah but yeah everything else is like shaggy like not she, oh she hasn't shaven for a couple of days like nah she got shaggy she got belly for yeah she uh, she i'm a sasquatch mm-hmm. i'm a wild she's, woman she's a She's a, Sas- a sasquatch S- Sasquich. <laughs>
1: Sasquix. sasquicks that's oh it she's a sasquicks um yes so this is tm tm yeah I'm, yeah yeah you gotta pay me for that if you use it um this is Mary Magdalene. Oh shit! Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to tell you why because I want to have an whole episode on Mary Magdalene and her fur because it's amazing. But this is but just take take my word for it. I promise you, um, this is Mary Magdalene. Um, and now this is a totally different image, but it's the same image, and it only has its power because of the because of the more broadly spread um, uh, Christian iconography of it really being. The Virgin Mary, Eve, these other kinds of things, you know, Um, always Mm -hmm. the same. I mean, those which are the same in this conceptual sense. Um, But now it's Mary Magdalene. And so now it's a whole different jam because uh, it's not... um, You know, this sort of like, oh, we push you on a pedestal and like you just be perfect and well, I'll just do all the hard stuff and then you'll come and like comfort me or whatever kind of. It's not that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, What captures Christ? Repentance captures Christ. And that is awesome. That's a whole cool jam. It's Mary Magdalene's repentance. And her and her penitence. I mean, that's that's partly what's being emphasized by the fur, um uh is what captures Christ. And that is, I think, really, really beautiful.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. And like, okay, so here's where my medievalism is coming in, because you know, you get in on the whole kind of literary level, I get in more on the sort of, Game of Thrones. fantasy bestiology level. And yeah, exactly. And but but there is this motif, right in almost every culture of, of the wildman, of the wild man. Right. And, and the, 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 most common version of, we know of now to a modern lens is the Sasquatch. Right. Um, but, you know, indigenous peoples talked about something like the Sasquatch, you know, far earlier than, you know, European settlers ever documented it. And then in medieval Europe, it's a very similar creature, but always depicted with like a male face, And then covered in either brown or often green hair. And he would kind of wear a crown and a diaper of leaves. And he would carry a big staff or a big club. And there are one or two images I've seen of a female wild man. Um, But it's always, you know, representing the same motif that we're talking about, right? Like the ultimate in wildness, the ultimate in um, savagery. And, you know, here's this creature that, you know, is out in the wilderness and it's, you know, has this, I mean, Grendel, right? Like Grendel Mm -hmm. in Beowulf is considered like the and And I've never seen it, though, explicitly just in a Christian context. And to juxtapose that with the unicorn, who's the other thing that the medieval imagination considers to be the most savage and the most wild, and that one is sort of being saved by the other. I mean... Maybe this is me going too far, but it's almost like the unicorn is, I'm speaking from a Christological lens here, but it's almost like the unicorn is taking on wildness to go meet her and hers.
1: I mean, I, I like that conceptually. It works really well theologically. Um it's not happening in the image though and that's what's so wild about it because it's like a complete role reversal kind of i mean it's yeah it it is it isn't it isn't yeah and
0: what i'm saying there is does actually require the person looking at it to come in and i'm assuming that maybe someone looking at it in germany in the 1400s you know would have had these these sensibilities but like this is very clearly like a wild woman this is very clearly a wild woman and then this very
1: tame this Meek and mild by nature. That's the thing. What's funny about this? Yeah. Like meek and mild by nature because it looks like a, like a happy kind of mild mannered greyhound with this gigantic horn representing perhaps presumably the one power of the father. You know, one power um, of the father,
0: or you know the the phallic power of or, or a big, uh, or a big know, penis, which, which is which is
1: yeah. fine. I mean, it's it's which, it's it's cutting horizontally across thing. her across her breasts. Like it's just there. It is. You know. Um, yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it's super wild. So. Um, literally, I mean, I would, yes, literally. I mean, it would be really cool to like, it would be really wonderful to find an image where like, you've got Mary Magdalene as the wild woman, and then you've got this wild, depicted as wild unicorn, that would be really cool to see them both, because that would be a really strong visual, like a single combination image of, of the, the this, this lovely scene that you're describing. Um, right. I yeah. haven't tracked it down, of course, it doesn't mean that it
0: doesn't exist, Um, because. But, the, but that's the thing, it's, it's just like. So when we talked about Mermaids around the same time last year, which it was not intentional that this would be a sequel to our Mermaids episode. Everything but is a sequel to our Mermaids like, episode. Because our Mermaids episode is our best it's episode. It's absolutely our best fun. episode. Everybody go back and listen um, to it again. Do it. Seriously. But it is funny that like at almost exactly the same time the following year, we're going back and we're like, okay, post-Easter, what, we, what do we want to talk about? We want to talk about- like a fantasy animal probably fantasy animal maybe a wild woman maybe right yeah we want to talk about a fantasy creature that represents like jesus in some way and it's it's so interesting that we are kind of coming back to this well but what's different what's different between the unicorns and then the mermaid thing is it was almost easier to kind of do a census of mermaid art because Although there's a lot of it, it does tend to happen in such consistent themes, but unicorns are just so popular that there's just, they just kind of, it's like, it's like you dropped a, you know, you dropped a rock on a piece of glass and then it just shatters in every possible direction. Right. And like, yes, everything does come back to that. Every piece of glass that shatters off does come back to that central initial crack. Right. So you can trace an artistic lineage and everything references everything else, but it's also split off in so many directions that you can't really say, oh, well, all the unicorns of this kind go into this category and all the unicorns of that kind go into that artistic cat. You can't be that academic about it because every unicorn depiction kind of exists on its own referencing everything else, but being fully independent as, as an artistic and philosophical motif.
1: No, that's what you're totally right. That's what's so, so trippy about it. Like I, um, right. So like, for instance, to the point, to the point that the unicorn ends up being like, let me get, let me give you the most extreme example, um, just from this like kind of historical context that we've been talking about, like with the evolution yeah, of this I'm image, sure. and everything, um, the most twilight kind of example, and of course, I mean. Oh, uh, I
0: hope you're not about to spoil one of the paintings I chose. But but go no, for I'm it. not. You might I I, so, okay, I have
1: right. an image of this. I'm not sure I'm going to share it. But um, I uh, no the most Twilight image by Twilight here. Um, I'm speaking of the most important art, uh, ro- ro- novel series in the world, given by how frequently we reference yeah, that's it. The
0: single the single most important literary work of the 21st century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, I'm, by by which I mean, you know that like.
1: This quick sense of werewolves and vampires and stuff has literally nothing to do with any way that they've ever been depicted. It's just using the words and kind of moving on, um, which is kind sure, of delightful. Yeah. Um, I was in Columbus, Ohio one time for... Um, Huge mistake. It was. Mm-hmm, yes. Um, My condolences. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Columbus. It's not the world's most pleasant place to live. Um, I They... Uh, it was the start of June. They have a very, 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 very prominent um, kind of citywide Pride Month um, that's that's it's heavily advertised. In kind of every every it's, it's it's very prominent, you know, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, very uh, much part
0: of the city's brand. Very, right.
1: very, very much part of the city's brand. And um, I saw there was a big billboard from a kind of a local progressive um, Protestant church. Um, that was sort of signaling that they were participating in this movement as well, and um, it's an it was a, so it was a big cartoon drawing of I mean you said the text was something like all are welcome or something I like said I don't I don't remember but um, but but what really caught my attention was this big cartoon drawing and the billboard billboard sized of Christ waving riding a
0: unicorn. There's I want to get that as a tattoo. So
1: <laughs> much one could say about this. There is so much one could say about this. But what I love yeah. the most about it is that you look at this like from an artistic perspective and you think, why are there two Christs in that image?
0: <laughs> jesus writing Jesus. It's jesus I It's all the Jesus. It's
1: just, it's turtles all the way down. So I,
0: yeah, turtles all the way just, down, man. I can't, why is it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm just So, so what's going to happen here is you're going to get the Jesus tattoo on your hand. And then I'm going to get the unicorn tattoo on my hand. And that when we, when we high five, Jesus rides the unicorn. But then, but why are there
1: two Jesus? I don't get it.
0: I don't know, man, but I love it. But again, why is any of this stuff? Because again, none of these things hold up to much scrutiny what? you just have to take them for exactly what the artist was intending and go that's cool i'm not going to look at it any further mm. and that's that actually is a perfect pivot into the image that i was afraid you were going to spoil but my favorite and it's sort of a basic choice to to be contributing to the conversation i admit that it's it's always annoying when when somebody is just like oh i want to share a renaissance painting but i don't feel like we can talk about unicorns in art um without talking about Raphael's portrait of a lady with a unicorn yes um, bring in 1505 in. which i love because it is literally the definition of this does not hold up to scrutiny so this is pretty clearly and most artists most art historians think that he was inspired by the mona lisa on some level um that that like he was maybe trying to riff off of its success um but he paints this, this blonde, blue-eyed woman kind of sitting between the two uh, Grecian revival columns, gorgeous kind of red velvet poofy sleeves, um, you know, gold front on her dress and, and you know, kind of an off-the-shoulder thing, you know, really lovely rendered fabrics and textiles and stuff. And then in her lap, she is holding essentially like If you've ever been to a farm, as many homeschooled people such as me have been, if you've ever been to a farm and you've seen pygmy goats and they're like little cute goats that are like permanently baby goats, and then you've seen a baby, one of those, this like a baby pygmy goat. So it's already a permanent baby. And then it's a cute little baby thing on top of that this is that but for unicorns and she is holding the fuzziest little guy and he does he's have adorable. the horse face he does and the big black eyes and the little the little pointy ears the cutest but little everything horn you seen is so shaggy and fluffy like it is so like you can i mean he's so good Raphael is so good at texture and you can totally imagine what it would feel like to, to run your hands through the kind of shaggy goat like coat of this horse that, that it's coming out everywhere um, including like kind of a fluff on the top of its head where its big horn is sticking out that compared to her like this horn is is basically like a milkshake straw size like this is how yeah, small that's right. this yeah, unicorn she could, is sitting she could in definitely,
1: her lap. She could definitely eat a milkshake with that horn.
0: Maybe she maybe right, she was playing right, on yeah. it. She's looking kind of
1: ominously pensive. I have to say, she could be. She could be. And I
0: always do look ominously pensive whenever I'm about to have a delicious, delicious milkshake. I think most of us do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But here's what's funny about this, in terms of it not holding up to scrutiny, they have done scans of this painting, as they often do with historical paintings to see, you can see often under paintings, like, you know, someone will maybe have painted something on top of another painting, either because they didn't like the previous painting, or because the previous painting was scandalous, or because they got the canvas cheap from other artists. Sometimes you can see their initial, the artist's initial sketches, which can be very, very, very rich in terms of understanding the process of an artist from history. Um, they did a scan of this it was absolutely a puppy in the first draft. Yeah. Um, he, he painted a dog in the first draft and what they know that this paint they, they know that this painting was actually meant to be a gift for the woman in the paintings marriage. This was commissioned as a wedding gift and nobody knows what happened, but at some point this little puppy which in, you know, Renaissance, Renaissance symbolism is supposed to represent loyalty. Right, essentially, right, I right? yeah, you know, exactly, yeah. have this little dog, it's going to be loyal to me, so I'm holding this dog to represent the loyalty in my marriage. At some point very late in the process- they go, this needs to become a unicorn to represent her virginity and her chastity, most likely. Holy crap, we
1: we got a unicorn of this puppy. But we already
0: have the dog, so we need the unicorn to be the size of a cute little wiener dog. (laughs) And as a result of whatever drama happened in this poor girl's life, probably very close to her wedding day, we get... The absolute cutest depiction of a unicorn in human history. I think that's exactly
1: not. right. That that is, yeah, you're right. Like there is no way. Like it's even got his little like fuzzy forepaws, paws, like yeah. tucked into her into whatever, yeah. into her into her fingers. You know, and this very yeah, like, snuggling. It's like very snuggly, and it's like mouth is open in this very like happy to happy to be here kind of like just sort of panting happily. Is unicorns do? kind of way and not
0: to overanalyze the stuff but we're two white men with a podcast why not right like so i had a i had a a history professor in undergrad who is you know a, a very catholic man but he he was sort of doing a history of the way different cultures view femininity and obviously any any cute kind of clever sounding summary is going to be reductive, but he, he said this really interesting thing that he said, you know, when a group has a power that another group doesn't have, he's speaking specifically about a woman's fertility, right? Um, When a a group has a power that another group doesn't have, first, that group is worshipped for it. They're worshiped for that power that, that I don't have. And then I want to protect them. I want to protect that power that they have. I want to keep it safe. I want to safeguard it. And then I want to subjugate it. And there's always this like continuum in the way femininity is depicted in a lot of different cultures. And again, that is a reductive summary. We could find all kinds of exceptions to it, but speaking in the broadest of terms and painting with the broadest of brushes. I think that that's a good summary for the way feminism f- femininity excuse me and and um and fertility are often kind of depicted over the the life of a given culture's art. And I think something really similar is happening with the unicorn where we're starting off as this wild wild savage thing. And then we're adding to the stew, to the stew this like okay, but he's tamed by Femininity such that he can actually be tricked by it. And then we get into kind of this, this Christological thing of, okay, well, the unicorn is voluntarily letting himself be tricked on behalf of the, the, the virginal woman here. And maybe, you know, that woman is innocent and pure, like, you know, Mary, the mother of God, or maybe that woman is a wild woman like a Sasquatch or Mary Magdalene. And then the more we're seeing the woman be depicted alongside the unicorn, we start making more and more and more adaptations to the unicorn to make it go with that feminine image better. Most perfectly represented in this sort of microcosmic image that Raphael puts together of, you know, this is a horse faced unicorn. It doesn't have a little beard, right? And it's very tiny and it's very cute. And and we're seeing the kind of reduction to cute in the unicorn that, that femininity often goes through in art. You know, we, we slowly pull away the wildness and we're left with kind of a shell that represents something that we want femininity to be, but it's only a component of the larger whole and by itself is is really lacking. And again, I even as I say it, I know that I'm overstating. But but it does seem like there's a parallel here. It does. We're, to go from the most kind of masculine, stereotypically masculine savage creature to by far the most feminine, stereotypically feminine creature with with like a my little pony thing. This Raphael image seems like one of the exact moments where that river changes course and i and i wonder what that does say when we're starting our conversation speaking about the inherent kind of sexuality and generativity of these unicorn images i do wonder what that says about our own view of our sexuality and of femininity and masculinity you know getting either watered down or or packaged differently according to what you know the given culture wants to brand our sexualities as i don't know i mean i'm i'm genuinely curious like in your honest thoughts on this
1: well I can say with this particular image, even if it's a watershed turning turning point of um, unicorn images into into a more domesticated, uh, into more domesticated, less wild direction. It's hard to regret because this is the world's cutest puppy unicorn on the entire planet. (laughs) I do
0: want to own it. And I love it. I I want to own it. I want it. I want to read all this toxicity into it, but I also really want it as a pet. I love it so much. I love everything about it. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, it's, you see something, I don't know, there is something about this is something similar happens with angels, of course, right? That they, um. Uh, oh sure, yeah. I mean we did know, two whole episodes right. on that. Because they 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 go from this wild splendor of the um representation of the unrepresentable character of the of the um uncontrollable wild wild glory of God to like we gotta make it baby who's playing with a cardinal cat. <laughs> Look at him. You know? Um mm-hmm. so like there is there's just this like deep desire to like domesticate domesticate the wild things you know because like those are the words that we use for it but it just means that you you bring something that you can't control into your own control um and uh one way of doing that is by making it smaller than you weaker than you cuter than you whatever um in ways that are kind of non-threatening um i do not i'm gonna be totally honest I i do not feel threatened by this unicorn. It's too adorable.
0: Um No, but, I mean he could poke me, but he wouldn't poke me too bad. No, nah, he'd be It'd so sweet. Okay. He'd I be could so handle sweet. It. And
1: he would loan me his his horns to drink a milkshake. And I I, I get it that. But isn't that interesting?
0: Um, I mean, cuz you're so right. I didn't connect it to the angels thing, but you're right. Like it is exactly the same evolution or deevolution or whatever. And is isn't it interesting that that evolution is cyclical because I mean, as I mentioned in that Guardian article where it's trying to summarize, you know, all the ways unicorns have been utilized, like the author is complaining that unicorns are t- so girly, in fact. Right. That she is a self-respecting feminist, doesn't want her daughter to play with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if there's this- And like, <sighs> isn't it so funny that, we, that it's so cyclical where it's like, we take this wild thing and even in our art. Even in our art, we can't stand something being wild. Even if it doesn't exist, we can't stand it being wild. So we we domesticate the image to such a degree that it l- nauseates us. We we become sick of how saccharine this thing is. You know, we took the wolf and we turned it into a pug dog, and and we're embarrassed by it. And then there becomes this revolution literally you know going back around the cycle to how can we rewild it again yeah and you do and, see that we in some do that contemporary. ourselves we do that, like it's crazy yeah, yeah
1: and you do see that with some contemporary um unicorn representations. I, I wish i could remember the exact name of it right now but there's a um uh I think it's an online comic um, that has sort of like carnivorous unicorns. So they're sort of like they're like represented as sort of. I mean, they're carnivorous uh, and they're people, they eat people. You know, um, and uh, right. or like. But, I mean, it's but not a good movie. Is- but the
0: new the new Shazam movie that just came out, which is like a DC superhero, they they got like a brand tie-in with Skittles very evidently because they talk about Skittles for like most of the movie. And then at some point the cute little girl who like loves unicorns wishes for a unicorn. And so a unicorn shows up to help them save the day, but it's this gigantic black hulking unicorn with, you know, rippling muscles and like crazy fiery eyes and its horn sort of bends in a more rhino-y way. And she she rides this unicorn that she's feeding Skittles to and says, taste the rainbow mother. And like, and and it's it's very much like a kind of, oh, we are we are parodying how girly unicorns are by making this super monstrous unicorn and referencing Skittles. But it's like, no, that is what unicorns are. Like, you yeah. just, no, see, you just took us back to the beginning again and you don't even know. Right, but it, of course, in a much
1: trashier way because in the end, rather yeah, than sure. having this like, totally wild and weird but like thought about for hundreds of years kind of reflection on like what's the wildest kind of wild you know oh it's probably god because he's the wildest kind of wild it's like well what's the wildest kind of wild well skittles just paid me 20 million (laughs) dollars which i mean no hate
0: if skittles would like to pay us 20 million dollars you know i'd gladly be sponsored by skittles i hereby officially say that i'm open
1: open to be paying being paid 20 million dollars to 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 be a skittles podcast yes
0: yes I'm I'm, I'm I'm
1: open to that um no but that's right like it's because it, just in the end it's like as as the, like the circle comes around like it's just it's just like very trashy it's like right like i get it you think you're being all risque by having or being all edgy by having this like oh edgy sort of like scary dangerous unicorn and you feed it skittles i guess because because the cf supra 20 million dollars but um But there's nothing to it. Like there's no there there. You know, like, um, I uh, I did want to say like one thing. Um, again, like you know, a a major theme for me, kind of thinking about like these, like why why do I like to go back to these historical things and sort of sort of run forward to to feeding feeding Skittles to a while chanting. I mean, the, it's so on the nose that they were like literally chanting the, uh, the- It's just a commercial. It's just the a commercial that they the actually brand. chant yeah, the slogan. It's, it's so embarrassing. It's
0: so crass. It's, so, it's disgusting. It's yeah, incredible.
1: It's, uh, it's because like in the end, I think, you know, so we're we're left with these contemporary sort of like circle around, circle around, circle around versions, um, which sometimes are delightful and sometimes like this are like really cringy, you know. Um so it's like, well, what do we do with it, you know? Um, and like I mean, I don't know. I think there's like there's clearly because, because the unicorns are, you know, 30,000 streams going in like 30,000 different directions, you can do whatever you want with them. Um, but, like, if one does want to, like, tap into the wildness of this, and I mean this in several senses, of this one stream that has its historical mm-hmm. trajectory, and then I really, I'm really, I, ref, I refuse to even by implication blame this adorable puppy unicorn uh right. but maybe the
0: raphael's puppy unicorn. if, it yeah. is, if
1: it is where it you happens you are safe you're Do safe not say you're anything safe. about my you son
0: this you adorable unicorn so adorable. i love you yeah, i love you so much
1: i hate your friends though your friends suck um yeah i have. that i had that, I have that. feeling real strong right now um yeah and uh but i mean it turns like you know i think it does it like that stream dilutes and it, it loses its force and its conceptual power is kind of gone in a certain way. Um, but like, to say like so if you think like, well, I'm a Christian artist and I want to like, how do I jam on this? You know, I'd say like, I mean, you think about, think about the various things that a unicorn can mean and think about how, that, how you could just not just be like ironic or cheeky or, a paid advertisement but like how do you like tap more into the wildness of the power of it like we you know you've offered
0: like we've offered a bunch, and the a bunch wildness of things here of, and the wildness of all these things yeah that's right yeah well, I, w- I would just say like the, the wildness of you you know the wildness of your sexuality your masculinity or femininity because you know the masculine can be wild like the unicorn the masculine the feminine can be wild like the 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 wild woman you know and the unicorn the wildness of God like there i mean yeah there's really something here i mean even the fact that unicorns are so perennially popular there's like i would argue kind of that longing for the wildness of things
1: yeah i think that's exactly right and i think um i don't know i mean just like the incredible freedom here to like let these images work like in tension with each other to bring things together that seem like they don't go together um and to th- to kind of think through them visually and conceptually to where they do work you know, and like I just I offer it as like a like a textual meditation on top of on top of these kind of visual meditations. The first thing this actually made me think of because of this uncontrollable wildness of images that don't seem to work together and this like insistence on the fierce on unca- un- indomitability combined with this like meekness and tameness um, and submission and. Um, this uh there's nothing in this of the kind of like naturalized nice guy imagery of christ there's nothing in this of a kind of like an obvious connection of images that like the mind is going to easily embrace and kind of swallow down like a handful of skittles taste the rainbow i will accept that um 20 million (laughs) dollars in cash or check um it's hard like it's hard it's hard viewing it's hard thinking like it challenges the heart it challenges the brain to like enter into its own wildness and then crack kind of crack it open and like dwell there which is really great um so like here's a here's just one textual thing that that it immediately made me think of it's, it's this beautiful 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 arguably the oldest um or was certainly one of the oldest old english works called the dream of the rude um and this is the this is the poet's vision of how christ goes to the cross it says this it says unyaring himself then this is this is an old English way of saying disrobing taking his clothes off um unyaring himself then this young it was god all surpassing strong and set in purpose he mounted upwards on gallows heightened and humiliated impetuous in the imagination of many and all when he wanted to undo his humankind
0: that's wild
1: it's this it's this it's this this is this is the wild font of like the visual imagination um that we cannot lose and that like we will only benefit if we tap, if we force ourselves to tap into, which is to like take all these things that seem like they don't go together, uh, and not just like randomly conjo- conjoin them in, in a sort of postmodern play, but like actually to let them make sense of one another, to like see how Christ uh, allowing himself to be crucified on the cross is like um, mounting the gallows to undo his humanity, which is to say to undo the the sin of the human of of our humanity, right? Like to like see the wildness of the unicorn who is like tamed by the virgin. To see like to see its sexual character, its generative character. To see like the repentance and all the rest. And like let them all be together, you know. Um, I'd say honestly, this kind of thinking is the genius that it is the major stream that has that uh, that allowed so many. Um, artists to use the Christian visual languages um, to create works of um, that grab that capture that sort of break and remake the heart and the eye Um, I'd say whether you want to do this with unicorns or anything else in the world try to do this and go forth and create cool things This has been Created Things, a production of Art, Soul & Mind, hosted
0: by Jacob Flores-Popchek and Father Gabriel Toretta, produced by Kyle Miniki and Jessica Flores-Popchek, theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on this podcast and the artists featured, follow us on Instagram at Created Things Podcast and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed.